All right, that should be the radio done and dusted. Now it's time for us to go on our own little riff. Let's do it. All right, so before we had, uh, or during while uh, we were just talking while the radio was playing, we had been talking about um, the, what was it, the balance between... um, Healthy creative habits. Yeah, healthy creative habits. That's right, because... Currently, the way my uh, studio is set up at home is in my bedroom, and I live in like a ten foot by eight foot spot right now. And I'm not, I'm not complaining. That that's I chose that. I'm not, I wasn't forced into that at all. People are gonna be like, "How can you live in a space like that?" It's it's just what I can do. It was just you know, <laughs> once you, I, I don't need to live a luxurious life. It's just I needed to live. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> and, sleep. You gotta eat. Got to sleep, got to eat, and I was willing to do that within a ten foot by eight foot space, and it was kind of nice. I have a loft bed, so I okay. had like a space underneath nice, where yeah. I have, so it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Um, so it was literally just like living in college, <laughs> yeah, because uh, I always had the bu- top bunk. However, if you didn't know this, having your workspace and your bedroom in the same place is actually really, really, really bad for your mental health mm-hmm. because you need different spaces for your different activities if you sleep in the same place as you work your mind won't be set for sleep it'll be in the workspace and vice versa it could be set for sleep and not the workspace for example when i get up i don't want to get out of bed yeah who does honestly who does and (laughs) serial killers i don't know (laughs) crazy people i know that um our farmers are probably probably but they're not crazy they're actually really nice however (laughs) point being is that once I get out of my bed and I I literally just climb down onto my chair and then sit right in it and that that's my workspace. Yeah. That's that's not at all because uh, my mind is still brain foggy. I I don't I don't even drink coffee because I don't like the taste. So it's like it's like really really rough uh, for me to like get in a flow and then once I get in a flow, get it. It's super easy just to also be like this is my room. This is where I like watch TV and then. I'm on my computer, so I can I have like YouTube is what I watch. Yeah. So I have all that there. It's just so easy to click. You know what? It's time to watch a YouTube video. Yep. <laughs> and then yep. you just get stuck on that for like the rest. And then it's so uh, hard to do that. And then not not only that, but then there you get into all the questions of uh, distractions, windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I comfortable in in my working space? Is it uh, economical or is it like? Yeah functional what's practical versus not practical and all that other stuff what was it like for you when you first started to create music would you consider was that a a, a thought in your mind the healthy uh creating style or i mean you know i was working out of a bedroom for a really really long time and so there wasn't really an option for an alternative that's fair you know except i was a whole lot more productive when i was at audio school mixing there than when I was mixing in my bedroom at home that you know night because yeah the, the mental health thing is so important um, especially if you have uh, attention issues like me I've got oh, pretty yes. major ADHD uh, if you can't tell just listening to the way that I talk but um, yeah so it's it's a tricky thing and, and it's not a luxury that everybody has mm-hmm. and you know a lot of the people I work with that's definitely not their situation they're working out of their bedroom so it's a tricky thing because it's, it's not always something we can avoid, but I think that there are healthy ways to work around it. 
And, and even for myself, like I, I work out of my apartment. I do everything remote. I do have a separate room in the apartment, which is my office space, you know, and I right. do my work there. Um, but even then it's tricky, right? Cause it's a small space. And it's like, Oh, well, my, anyway. my couch is right there. I've got my fridge and my bed. And like, I can just, I can find all kinds of ways to work in ways that will just distract me. I'll get less done. And setting really clear boundaries has been something that's really helpful to me. Like you just, I cannot work on my bed. Like it's just not, I have right. to set some of those things. It's like, that's not an option or, um, you know, shutting down. Like uh, you can get like, uh, I have this app that will block, uh, Facebook on my Google Chrome. So like if I go to Facebook, it will, um, I, I can't see my newsfeed. Like you can't scroll. You can't see anybody's posts. That's smart. It just drops this little inspirational quote there instead. So you get to like read a little bit of Mark Twain when you go to Facebook and that just ruins the whole moment and then you don't want to keep going. So then you stop. What's that app called? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, it's for Google Chrome. It's like an extension. Right, I'd have I to look it up. Maybe we can leave it in the show notes or something. Yeah, for sure. But um, something block, I'm guessing. I don't know. But so like it would make sense. Yeah, yeah. But finding... <laughs> Social media blocks. Yeah. Like. But finding little things like that or just turning my ringer off on my phone and putting mm. it face down in the other room. Things oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, in the other room where, like, I can be very intentional about... Or in the other side of the room if you're in this... If you have one space, you know? Right. But like really intentional things like that to say I'm making a conscious decision to not let these things distract me and I'm no good at it. I'm preaching to the choir right now. But those are some of the things like that I've learned that are helpful as well as just like working out of your environment. I'm more creative when I go and I sit in the Starbucks for a couple hours a day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I would become be like a regular so habit strict. for me. I, I think I have ADHD too. Yeah. So, um, so bad that I'm, I'm also like medicated for it. So, uh, for me, a, a big problem for me is like, uh, procrastination mm -hmm. and listening to the thing I wrote 50 million times before <laughs> I continue, which is a really yeah. unhealthy thing for a song. Right. Because uh, one one of the tips that I had recently learned was just that you got to keep writing. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to yeah. uh, fix later. Um, yep. And that's something that's been so hard for me because I'll, I'll get because if you don't know me or my music, I'm really good at writing hooks, like catchy, yeah. really catchy stuff. Uh, and that's not that's not like me uh, tooting my own horn. That's what my own uh, college professor and others have said about me. Uh, so. And I like listening to good music. And if I write something that sounds really, 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 really good to me, I'm just going to keep it on loop for an hour and then, yeah. and then t tweak the tiniest little bits or even just listen it, it listen to it because it makes me happy. Sure. Um, so setting those boundaries of saying, hey, I can't listen to I have to keep writing. I have to keep singing out this part. Hey, you have to put your phone away. You have to put your laptop away. Hey, you can when if you're on this if you're on this laptop or this desktop or whatever, even the bookmarks on <laughs> on the top of your bar. Like I have, yep. I have yep. my student stuff. I because I still audit classes here. I have my YouTube. I have my uh, my other work related work outside of music related stuff. Yeah. And it's just right there. It's tempting me. It's it's a, it's a temptation. And so making sure and thank God for Chrome. <laughs> in some in this aspect particularly where you can have your own chrome profile that uh -huh. saves all your bookmarks for you yep. so that way i can just switch between my performance uh oh, yeah right you didn't brilliant. think about that no. right? yeah i'm gonna have to do that now yeah so i i have like my personal email which has like all of the it has everything there just in case if i want to work on it yeah but if when it's time to crack down uh i have 
my business profile that only has the stuff that I like. It has the for for my podcast, for example, it has the story, Gmail. It mm-hmm. has my Canva page in which I make all the graphics. Nice. It has and. That's well. That's pretty much it. Um, I, I guess there's LinkedIn and Instagram that I have on there too because that's kind of important for the marketing and all the jazz. Sure. And then I have my Outlook so that way I can uh tell tell the studio when I need to book it. But that's that's literally it. Nothing else. Not not Amazon. Not YouTube. Not Facebook. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's the lie. I have Facebook for the uh story. Right. But, um, otherwise, no Netflix, no Disney Plus. Yeah. N- none of that stuff that can get me distracted from what i'm doing and when it's strictly logic i the only reason why i have youtube there is because i consider that that time to be of learning Mm -hmm. so whenever i go on youtube when it's my logic time when i'm sitting down and producing it's only to uh, i have a different account that's only subscribed to like different music theory, yeah, uh, and like orchestration channels. Nice. That way, I can learn more and uh, do more, and it's still technically work. That's kind of like my excuse to get around it. But it's also important to take breaks. Yeah, because uh, it's really unhealthy to work eight hours straight without taking like a, like a standing break mm-hmm. or a eating break. I, because I get we all uh, neuro. Was it divergent? Yeah. People yeah. get hyper focused sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have gone days without eating because I've just forgotten. Oh, good. It's not just me. <laughs> no, it, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. I've talked to so many people that it's, it's, it's <laughs> some, some people who like don't have ADHD. She's like, how do you go without eating? How do you forget to eat? Listen, it just happens. I don't know how yeah. to explain it. It just happens. Do you ever just like snap out of it at like six o'clock at night? And realize I didn't drink any water today. Right, and and, yeah. and and you're wondering why you have a headache. Right, yeah. It's like it's like it's like well, obviously you haven't had any water, yeah. and you've just been turning the music up more and more, up like more every more like more. twenty minutes because you can't because suddenly you can't hear it as well. Yeah. yeah. Um. So <laughs> we're we're really unhealthy for each other, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is. I think we're in a toxic environment. We, we need we to are, shut this down. <laughs> we are in a toxic environment with ourselves. So that, that's what I'll do. I because one of the healthier ways of working that i've heard is th- uh like 25 minutes and five minute break or mm-hmm. something yeah something similar to that for me i like to work within an hour because sometimes it takes me 25 minutes just to write down a piece yeah uh so i'll, I'll like work within an hour and then i'll be like i'll be like okay let's let's research some uh completely different things so that way i'm, I'm like i'm getting i'm refreshing my brain I'm getting new ideas in for because I don't want to just keep bombarding my mind with the ideas that I'm already writing, yeah. Or, or else it's gonna become ununique. Sure, you know I mean? it's it's gonna be the yeah. same thing over and over mm-hmm. again, and, yeah. and nothing's gonna uh, develop. Yeah, because uh, development is important in music. Um, so I'll look up like I've been really getting into marches, like big band marches. marches. Oh, okay. Um, because that's like Sousa, like that Sousa, kind of yeah. uh, Duke Ellington, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, the other big band names are escaping me. Um, but those, the music man, the, the music <laughs> man is great. Uh, any, like, even, like, yeah, musical theater pieces yeah. like, like, uh, Steven Schwartz or mm, yeah. El, even the, I love Aida up by Elton John. I'm a big Elton John fan. 
Uh, so I'll like listen to they have some big band arrangements and I'll listen to that and I'll listen to how they're formed. I'll watch uh some YouTube. I wish I had their names to drop, but I'll watch how they uh create their own marches and just different chord progressions because there's a million and five different chord progressions you can make, but there are some that are related to each style. Sure. And there's always room for improv. So you can <laughs> one time uh. My friend, uh, who Rudy Turnstone is his name, he has a band that he invited me to be a part of, and um, one of his songs has this really, really Cuban, uh, like Africana uh, cadence to it. Okay. Uh, you know, like think of Havana by um, what's her name? I know who you mean. I can't. Remember yeah, the, name of the song, the song either, Havana. Yeah. Havana. Uh, it's it's it has that like same kind of chord progression. However, he wrote it as like a rock, like a heavy rock song, and I was like, "Yo, this would be really insane." Imagine if we went from uh the the like like the end chorus, mm-hmm. and we slowed it down and then turned it into this funky Africana yeah and style, like slowed it down and then just really jammed out on that. It would get it would people would go crazy. People will dance. And it, it would just liven up the room. Because that's, that's something uh, one of my friends does really well. He changes styles during song. Yeah. And everyone goes electric when it happens. Yeah. Because you don't see it coming. Because you don't see it coming. Camilla Cabello, by the Camilla way. Camilla Cabello, I yeah. I had to look it up. It was bugging me. Yeah. No, doing that kind of thing where you can completely break the expectation for a song is so important. And we talked about that before with some of the um, – music that influenced us you know in, in the 60s and the 70s and that mm-hmm. rock music where it was always like i didn't see that coming it was like how do we break the rules and keep people interested you know how do we break the rules keep people interested and inspire others to do the same yeah because yeah. there's such a stickler within music uh this guy rudy turnson was talking about that it was talking about that on facebook how um the central pa musician award or whatever that the organization organization is uh how they were just giving awards to people who have not to say that it's uninteresting, mm. but there was nothing that was breaking out, nothing that was uh break like breaking out of the one four six five chord progression, uh that's so common with every single song. Sure. Um, and there was no diversification of genres, uh that ha- are really really good and really really cool and should. And sh- I'm not saying that anyone should uh, receive less recognition. No, oh, absolutely. However, I would rather see more recognition across the board rather than just you have to. It has to fit country. It can't be yeah. country rap. It can't be country experimental. It can't be anything else. It just has to be pure bread and butter country folk right. rock whatever. Yeah, which is we have to have those those neat little categories, which isn't always what music is meant to be. No, it's not. But it, which is I think maybe how those award shows behave is they're they're category awards so they're focused on whatever represents uh, whatever that award um, organization considers the defining factors of that category yeah Yeah. although shout out to uh, my buddy's band Lindhurst that just won a CMPA uh, that's what I was talking about CMPA CMPA yeah Uh, my buddy's band Lindhurst uh, won an award there and they are probably one of the best bands in the Lancaster Lebanon area I have ever heard. If you like Should rock hook music. Me up with them. Yeah, dude, I'm going to I'm going to send you some links. They're awesome. Um I just ran south with them a couple weeks ago and they blew my mind. But um I lost my train of thought here. We were, oh yeah. So that variation which is 
sort of what music is meant to be. Well, you think like um, what, uh, Old Old Town Road, Lil Nas X song, mm-hmm. where it was like the country, country rap like thing, rap, hip hop, and it won all these awards, and then and people were all up in arms because it was blending genres. Right. And it's, it's not so much about whether you like the song or not, but I thought it was cool that it represented that thing. Like music is meant to break our boundaries and sometimes and bring even, people together. Like, bring people together. Yeah. Like when would you imagine? Um, a rap artist like Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus, <laughs> right? Yeah, like completely together. different it's, people. It's ridiculous on but so it's, many levels. Yeah, but I love that. That's what music is able to do: is to bring together really diverse people and to different diverse genres, you know, and to create some kind of community there between that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting for sure, because um, that can take place in so many arenas. For for example, there is. I grew up with a lot of, uh, yes, 70s and 80s, but a lot of that was encouraged by blues, gospel, mm-hmm. more yeah. uh, quote-unquote African-American or black music. And even that can get like kind of hairy when people come in and play different styles. And there's so many niches that aren't al- quote-unquote allowed to play. Mm. Like f- for Lil Nas, it was that a rapper can't do country. Right. Yeah. Or for Florida Georgia Line, they were strictly country, and then they went moved into rap, and people right. were like, "This is gross. You, you shouldn't do rap right, or yeah. some some other stuff like that." How has your experience? What do you do? You have a specific genre that you Ooh. go to, or that that you want to break out into? Yeah. So. My favorite music to produce right now is anything that I would term like indie pop. Uh, And the reason for that is that I do really enjoy the format of pop music. I love the hooks. I love the sort of verse chorus um, way of telling a story. And I love breaking it too. But I I do get excited about that. I enjoy it. But I love shattering the expectations about what it looks like to structure a song around that in terms of the instrumentation and, and some of the creative decisions that get involved. And so... My my thing is indie pop. I also call it like hybrid music because mm-hmm. it's blending a lot of the electronics and the synthesized styles of pop music with elements of a rock band. You have someone like the 1975 or the band Camino and you still got rock and roll guitars and drums on the stage. You know, you still got that energy, um, but we're blending it creatively with vocal chops and synthesizers and whatever else we feel like adding. And a big part of what I do with the artists I work with is helping them figure out their own influences and, and the diversity of their own influences so that they can come together and create something that's distinctly them. Mm-hmm. You know, because well, like uh, Elvis is a good example of this, right? Because he's influenced by country music and soul music and right. brings those two worlds together and, and a, a lot of other genres, gospel. Um, and I think that a lot of times the greatest music comes from when we put things together that the people around us would say those don't go together, you know, mm-hmm. stylistically. And so a part of my process in the pre-production when I'm working with artists is asking the questions like what records, you know, move you, like what inspires you. And especially in a Spotify playlist culture, you'll get people that will, they'll give you like a screamer metal song and then like a sappy folk singer songwriter song, like in the same sentence, which is just the coolest thing in the world to me that that's mm-hmm. how, how community works around music now. But then finding a way like, okay, so what are some of the things about those two songs that you love and how can we incorporate those diverse influences into creating something together? 
And then I think that that's kind of an interesting way to bridge those gaps and start that experimental process of like, what if we did this? Right. Wouldn't it be weird if we tried this? And I get so excited when people ask questions like that. Yes, yeah, it kind of goes back to the convers- the story I told with Rudy Turnstone. Like, what mm-hmm. if we turned yeah. this metal uh, song into like just a Cubana, Africana yeah. uh, kind of style, which is yeah. something you wouldn't expect heavy metal to turn into like flamenco. You know, right. <laughs> it's like that, that's like that's it's, yeah. that uh, that's it's, it'd be so funny to me, but also really good. Like you have an electric guitar playing flamenco styles. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh yeah, um, that'd be awesome. so that'd be that that. It's, it's really fun and right. it's it's unique and it's gonna turn heads and that's something that's really important is that because uh, yeah your music needs to sound good but it's also just turn heads and yeah. be like I wouldn't I I want to be able to do that all right I want to get into I want to be a part of that right and it's like well, sometimes I think we have it in our heads that I, as the artist, am the only person that's like this. I'm the only person that likes country music and pop-punk music or something. And so nobody would like it if I mixed those two things together. But then that ends up being your your crowd, is people like um, that love those two things blending together, whatever genres they are. And then that's how you can build an incredibly loyal audience because you're doing something unique that very specifically speaks to them and the things that they love. And so it's almost a huge asset to you to really deep dive as an artist to anyone as an artist. Like, what are my influences and how can I do something that's distinct by blending them? That's going to connect with all the other people like me that have those same diverse influences. Yeah, Machine Gun Kelly did that. Yeah, um, yeah. Transitioning. I forgot what he was originally. He was rap. He was rap. And then he transitioned into like rap, rock, rock, rock. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. I don't know what exactly like alternative rock is probably like how Spotify would categorize him. Right. Yeah. So uh, making that, I'm not saying that one has to completely change a genre, yeah. but we have, we do have that in my mind. Like I'm, I just write folk songs or I just write this, these kind of songs. My audience wouldn't, wouldn't like that. You don't know that. Yeah. And you don't know the amount of people that you're going to attract right. by br- doing those other things. And guess what? They're probably going to listen to your other music because what they're invested in is you, yeah. Not your, yeah. not uh, the mm-hmm. style or whatever. They're invested in you. So if they like your folk metal remix uh, right. of, of a song, they might actually like your more folky songs or your more right. metal songs. It's just opening the door. F- it's opening their musical mind as well. Yeah. Because I know so many people that are just like. I just like country. I hate everything else. Or I, I just like rock. I hate everything else. Sure. I like pop. Not really into anything else. I know <laughs> being a, being a, 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 a being involved with the musical theater uh, department here and all the other classical arrangements. Like I only listen to Mozart, or I only listen to Beethoven, or I only listen to show tunes. And it's just sure. like there's so much more. And these are the same people that would say I like all types of music as well. But then your playlist will solely be <laughs> country. Right. Yeah, I I can tell you I could not tell you how many times I I tell people I love all sorts of music. Sure. And when I say all sorts of music, I mean that there will be a barbershop. There's a barbershop quartet <laughs> in my playlist. Yep. There is Monty Verdi in my playlist. Okay. There there's uh Biggie in my playlist. Yeah. There's you know even up to like there's Ariana Grande and even there's like literally it. everything. There's even. I, I will say this. I don't like Screamo. Okay. Um, but I still have Evan Evan Engines. Ev- 
the Wake Me Up Inside song. Evanescence, yeah, yeah. Evanescence, and they're sort of scream. And I have Creed in there too, which yeah. can be screamo too. Sure. Um, so it's if you're an artist, don't be afraid to break out. Yeah. And if you're sitting on a song and and it's something you usually don't do, do it anyway. It's gonna you're gonna learn so much more from doing that than not. And yeah. who says that? You know, who says that you have to strictly in, be a folk singer? Who says you have to strictly be a country pop singer or whatever kind of singer? You can be whatever you want to be. And that's the truth of the matter. And if you are serious about it, people will follow. Yeah. We as artists have this deep insecurity about the things that make us unique when those are actually our greatest asset as right. creatives. Those are the things that make us stand out and that unite people around us because we're offering them a, a unique kind of connection that not everybody can offer. So when we all try to do the same thing, we, we miss out on that opportunity. We have sort of a couple opportunities. You miss out on, you know, the, some of the joy that it can be to find that community of people that are like you in some way, which is, you know, maybe the most liberating thing an artist can find. And you miss the opportunity to, connect with people at that very unique and distinct place sure yeah you know because like that's your that's your greatest asset that's the what i believe is it's the your unique authentic self as a creative is the is the best thing that you can offer to the people that are listening to your music it'll it'll ultimately be the most meaningful thing to the right audience right you you know and there's so many people that have their own issues, right? That are just looking for the right song. I, there's countless. I can't tell you how many times I've been sad and I've put on "Feeling Good" by Michael Bublé, yep. which is just like one of my all-time favorite songs. Um, so good. It's so good, man. It is so good. Michael Bublé was solely born, in my opinion, to play to write that and <laughs> sing that song. Uh, I don't actually know if he wrote it. I, he didn't I, write it. I think it's a Nina Simone song. Yeah, it? yeah, something like that. Yeah, but it's definitely a cover. He def yeah, it's de definitely a cover. Um, but he's for sure the guy to sing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and that's not to knock the original artist, but um, a an example of an of an artist who like breached out into different arenas is definitely Elton John. I, I hate to be like yeah. bringing it up every single time. No, let's do it. I just watched the movie on the on a plane last week. Ro like so, Rocket oh Man. My God. Dude, so it's good. so it's one of the, I in my opinion it's one of the best uh life to movie adaptations. Mm -hmm. Uh granted it it's it's very theme heavy and that's what I that's what I think really really got it done for me was was the theme. It wasn't really so much about like oh at this point he did this uh, at this right. point he did that. Um which was kind of almost the style of of Aretha Franklin respect. I still have to see that. It's it's really yeah. I will I will, I will I'm not going I'm not I'm not knocking respect at all. It's oh, just yeah. that it. No, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I wish it had stayed more theme than uh. Than than not. Right. But um, for Elton John, um, he. His. Story, and it's it's all about acceptance, really, mm -hmm. truly. Yeah. Uh, he's. I don't know if I can. Well, we're not on the radio. Yeah. He's a homosexual, <laughs> uh, and um. He's had he's a, a recovered uh, recovered drug addict, um, and he has he's so 
crazy experiences. I would definitely recommend watching Rocket Man. Uh, there are a, a few steamy scenes. I'll let you <laughs> let you aware of that. So do with that with that what you will. However, he has. When I first heard his, he made a track with Tupac. Yeah. When yeah. I first got a gospel, when I heard that, I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, who are the two people that, that completely opposite of each other that you would have never thought would made, make a track? Yeah. It's almost like that little Nas and uh, sure, Cy- yeah, yeah. Cyrus Smiley Ray. That's a good comparison. But Tupac and Elton John, two of these monoliths within yeah. their own respective uh, genres, come together and make this incredible song uh like bridging the gap mm-hmm. and there's there's uh crocodile rock which which i i would consider him a rock artist um yeah. m- mainly uh but tiny dancer a ballad mm-hmm. uh goodbye yellow brick road another kind of ballady song that yeah. candle in the wind candle in the wind so good. um <laughs> there's here's he has a country song that i forget the name of but it's it's just like elton john did rock country rap uh, popish, hip hopish, and it's just like he really understood the assignment of breaking out, and in, in multiple ways, as yeah. being like a homosexual artist breaking out in a time. Granted, they, uh, Freddie Mercury was. I guess Freddie Mercury was a bit later than Elton John, wasn't he? I'm not. Or maybe sure. they were just around the same Sim- time. Like, I think they would have been contemporary. Yeah, but I don't know how much their paths crossed. Yeah, dude. Uh, imagine a queen, Elton John. <laughs> That would be insane, uh. But you know, breaking all sorts of all sorts of stereotypes within the yeah. music and cultural uh spaces. Yeah, and that freedom that came from acceptance and then full like. When you get to that point where you fully re- you accept who you are, the art that comes from that is phenomenal. And right. I think that that's so represented in his work. Um, it's just that sense of purpose that comes from knowing. And you got that like the end of the movie. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. But there was something beautiful about that, like acceptance and the resolve that then just turns into amazing art. Right. And I thought that that messaging was so incredible. And the, the imagery of the, mu- the movie is so... Oh, yeah. It, it will literally take you through what it's like to be a musician in the 60s. And yeah. And still now, like... Uh, the whole content of like drugs and stuff is still super relevant to the music scene and super just as detrimental uh, to the music scenes. I can think of like who who was that that uh, a female artist that recently like almost over OD'd on uh, was it Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and it's it's still such a. Like I'm still standing. That one song, that was mm-hmm. his come his comeback yeah, song yeah. of like I'm still standing. I went through all of this yeah. and I'm still here. What an inspiration that is to all all people because yeah. everybody everybody has that experience of like I was addicted to something whether right. whether it be drugs, uh, adult content, um, or just even like egotistical like you sure just yeah all sorts of stuff. Uh, yeah. To, and that's the beauty of art. You yeah. can come back, and proclaim your your statement to others, and say, "Hey, you're not alone." Even the richest or most popular artist of all time has these problems, yeah. and I got through it. So can you. I think artists, creatives in general, 
we're all a little bit emotionally tortured individuals. Oh, absolutely. Because we're we're doing something. It's it's countercultural to be that vulnerable, right? Uh, in whatever medium, be that be that poetry or song or painting, whatever it is, to, to create something is requires a certain kind of vulnerability, which is is sometimes difficult for us to balance in our own personal lives, and that's where that own creative health is so important because we have to be able to take care of ourselves to facilitate, you know, that continual art, or we're gonna self-destruct somewhere along the way. Right, and that's that's another part of being. There's a lot of artists that can get cooped. There are many artists that can get too caught up in the nitty gritty, and the here and now, and the I am who I am. I can't change that. Sure. Uh, the, and that that comes into like a, a the cultural problem of like postmodernism, like what's my truth versus uh. And this is like deep stuff that's being rooted into people now. Like, I am who I am. I'm born this way. There's no changing that. There, but there is. There is hope for change, and there's hope for redemption. There's so many people, like in, especially around Lancaster, that are just like, it's just who I am. And there's no way I'm gonna get out of it. And but that's not that's not the case. You, you and I'm not speaking of like, I'm I'm speaking from a a point of people being vulnerable and broken. Yeah, there's a difference between self-acceptance and self-defeat. Right. Um, so that's a double-sided coin. I don't want to make any definitive statements there. But I think that there can be a sort of an attitude where we, when we say this is who I am and we're embracing the our own, you know, maybe like self-destructive tendencies. Like right. I'm, I'm just an addict. That's who I am and that's who I'm always going to be. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's, that's what, like, what I'm talking about. That's the... Um, can wreak havoc on us and and on our art and our relationships, and you know I go through that with my ADHD sometimes, where I'm like, you know, I'm just I'm just going to be disorganized for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. But then I stop mm-hmm. making good art when I'm disorganized. You know, so I have to push against that. I think we all have our own little vices, whatever that may be. But being able to be determined as artists to maintain our own health and well-being so that you know we can continue to do the thing that we love and continue to do it better is so important right so kind of related to that topic you're married right yeah um you don't have a, a child yet but you, you oh, i won't get into that but uh, <laughs> someday we'll someday get someday we'll get, we'll get there. there i'm taking my time no that's totally fine and totally warranted um how do you balance then your healthy relationship with music and your healthy relationship with your wife Ooh. So everything that I say to answer this question is going to be me preaching to the choir instead of me. Me telling myself what I should be doing instead of what I'm perfectly succeeding at. (laughs) I don't think anyone has a perfect um, relationship with their significant other. Sure. But part of what I, when I really decided that I wanted to have a business in music, that I wanted to be full time, I had to ask myself a lot of questions about the kind of life that I wanted to live and the priorities that I wanted to set in my life and the things that I wanted to focus on. And the one of the things for me is that I really did, I wanted a family and I wanted to be able to have a job because I, I did the, um, you know, gigging lifestyle for a while where I was out playing to, at bars till, you know, one thirty in the morning, a couple nights out of the week. Right. And I was sleeping in late and my whole 
schedule was just off. Turn and don't get down. me wrong, I absolutely love the shows. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever get to a point in my life where I don't want to keep doing that in some capacity. But I realize that this isn't, like, the lifestyle I want to build my income around. Mm. Um, because I want to have more flexibility in my life to um, have a family and be able to see them in the evenings instead of having to be out working every evening and that sort of thing. And so when I started structuring my business, I realized I wanted to build something that in the long run I was able to do within a framework that was maybe more similar to a nine to five, not necessarily that specifically, but where I could set really clear boundaries of this is the time that I'm dedicating to this. And then this is the time that I'm choosing to spend um, with myself, with my family, with my friends, that sort of thing. Um, and then sticking to that is always the challenge. Um, but that's sort of the, the resolve that I had when I got into this. And that's the thing that I'm still working towards. Um, because for me personally, I think that's just the healthiest way to go about it. Right. I can kind of speak to that a little bit. My father was a gigging musician. And so I never had, uh, or he was always out um, he, he got up at like five o'clock in the morning and then, uh, came back at like 12 AM in the morning. And so I, as a kid, I'm not up at either of those times. <laughs> uh, so, however, I was lucky enough to like wake up sometimes cause I'm a super light sleeper even as a child, even now. Yeah. Uh, so I like prayed with him in the morning sometimes, but that was like the only time I saw him outside of being in trouble yeah. <laughs> or, or, or what, whatever else like family event that we had. Yeah. And I, I will openly say this. My father wasn't the best father to me uh, as sure. a child. Uh, there was even, he was uh, an alcoholic. Um, now he's six, seven years sober. So That's I'm great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say this, keep in mind, I say this in all, I love my dad. And he's a great dad now at the time. He did not have a healthy relationship with his family mm. and with his music. And that is something that I'm not sure he ever thought about. Um, and, you know, that's a good conversation to have my, with my dad to, to see, yeah. see what he thought about it. Yeah, that'd be uh, really interesting. But um, no, knowing that it's so easy to get distracted with gig life because you have all these shows, you have all these people, you have all this money – uh, cause my dad's job was not a good job. It was like, uh, he worked at the time at a place called blind industries. Okay. He, he, hard of sight. Um, right now he's legally blind. So, and, uh, it only paid like nine hours a day or nine hours, $9 an hour per day. <laughs> um, so, uh, and we were living during the time where, you know, the 08, Mar uh, 08 crash happened and uh, you know he's he's he was born during like the, the whole entire 70s 80s wild time of economics so he's always he was always trying to get money make sure that, that there was place for the family uh there was stuff for the family which i can totally respect it's just that there's there's a healthy balance between making sure that there's food on the table and that you are there for your child yeah and not in not just the father fatherly disciplinary role sure. but also the fatherly bonding and connecting role uh so yeah my, my dad he's a cool guy but at the time he didn't have that balance right but sure um, unfortunately now he has like arthritis in his hand so he can't really play drums anymore oh that's a shame it is a shame but he does well yeah no that's great man i think that yeah that 
finding that balance and it's different for everybody like it's not something i think that you can prescribe no absolutely not because it's so different depending on the kind of life you want too you know and maybe you marry the person that just wants to live in a tour bus with you for the rest of your life right and that's great or maybe you don't want to get married at all and you just want to just want to do know, it do the music thing so it's it's so different person to person but the thing that i constantly remind myself of and i try to write it down at least i've got really into journaling lately you know i'll, I'll try to write down about the kind of person I want to be, the kind of life I want to live regularly. Because just the act of doing that, of reminding myself, helps formulate when I go into my day, when I go into my week, my month, and I'm strategizing what I want out of my business in that week or month, you know, to remind me of what's actually important, what I'm prioritizing. So talking about uh, about balancing your work life, let's talk about getting your work life going. For example, uh, we had talked a, a little bit about like, uh, your networking and all that stuff, but how yeah. do you market to and imbi- like build an audience? Yeah. Is is the question that I have. Sure, for a for like a production business or as an artist or both. Yes, really? And, okay, cool. Well, so my uh, my focus as a producer is that I there's there's different approaches to what it can look like to run a production business, uh, and, and the approach that I really have have realized it's most important to me the thing i want to focus on is very very intentional one-on-one care for a person and their art so i'm not necessarily looking to work with you know hundreds of people a year i'd rather work with a very few people and give all of my hours and time to them and so for me marketing doesn't look like having a you know thirty thousand followers on instagram or something right. like that because the the metrics to me are, are so much less important than the really deep, meaningful relationships I'm building with people that connect with me on a creative level, that they come to know, like, and trust me. And also, you have a unique position because you're a co-producer, not sure, not, not yeah. a sole songwriter producer. Right. So the more meaningful following is the actual musicians yeah. than the audience itself. Right. Yeah. Your audience is the is the musician yeah. at hand. So my my audience when I'm when I'm thinking about what I want to post on social media because I get most of my clients through social media because I do mostly remote work, mm-hmm. um, and so people discover me through a YouTube video, through an Instagram post, that sort of thing. If I'm you know making a post in a Facebook group for musicians, that sort of thing, um, and so I I try and it, it kind of comes and goes in waves as I have time. I'm, this is one of those things I need to build a better habit of, but you know I intentionally go and I create content i make posts in those groups that is meaningful to the kind of person that i would want to build a relationship with and potentially work with at some mm-hmm. point in my life um so you know whether that's you know little tutorials that would you know help uh artists that records at home help them work on their processes here's a quick tip to be able to record your vocals better at home something like that that solves a problem for somebody that you know is kind of my target of who i might want to work with or sharing some of the work that I've worked on, sharing, you know, my passion for indie pop music, geeking out about some song that came out, like, oh my gosh, that guitar part is so cool. And then that connects with somebody else that loves indie pop guitars. And then you build a friendship with that person and then maybe they end up being. So my social media content is sort of like a creative form of outreach to very specifically build relationships with people that like, think like me. Right. You know, and then it just turns into conversations and phone calls and zoom calls hanging out with people it's very um interpersonal it's just building friendships is really the best way i can describe it and then in the long run some of those people are in a position where they need to work with somebody and 
you're top of mind. You're the first person they think of because they already know you. They you they like you as a person. Yep. You know, we've been on the phone. We've hung out. We geek out about the same music, so they know that I'm going to understand their vision when they say they want to make a record that has, like, 1975 vibes <laughs> or whatever. Um, and they already trust me as a person, you know, because we have that relationship already established. And so my focus when I'm doing marketing is really just making meaningful friendships and relationships with people and authentically connecting over, you know, our shared love for music. That kind of goes back to the whole networking idea of, um, yeah, that's really interesting because I never, I didn't really connect that because your audience isn't really, isn't, aren't the listeners. It's more of the producers and the creators as, as a whole. So you have to, uh, market, I'm trying to think of, think of a better yeah, word yeah. than market. You have to prioritize or target yeah. uh, producers, artists, and uh, others based off of what, A, what you've done in the past, B, what you know, yeah. and C, stuff that will encourage them to yeah. be, be a part of your world. Right. You have to convince them. Right. Because social media is like this black hole of sometimes there's like glimpses of meaning in this just void of chaos, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You can just mindlessly scroll and it's rare to find anything that has like an emotional impact on you as a person. And so being very intentional about, I want to create something that is really meaningful to the kind of person that I want to be in relationship with is going to make them stop and listen for a moment and have a positive experience with you. And then, you know, that just kind of develops naturally you know, along the way you build friendships with people and you don't do it with the intention of necessarily like, I'm just reaching out to this person because I want them to hire me, you know, because maybe right. they never hire you. Maybe they're just a really good friend, but, but someday down the line, they have a friend that needs somebody and they recommend you to that person. Like it, it never works out the way that you think it's going to work out, Never. but it always, but the relationships are always worth having. Like I, I met this artist in a Facebook group two years ago um artist from new york uh, named samantha daniels and we just connected we liked some of the same music i like some of her demos and we said hey let's just get on the zoom call and write a song together and i was at a point where i had a little bit more free time uh, in my day-to-day then and i had some extra time to just hang out with somebody Mm -hmm. Uh, we made a song it was just a collaboration this wasn't like a client situation we were just friends that met on the internet recorded the song the song did really well um and then she ended up being someone that had all these connections and is just constantly sending me people to work with now. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's humbling that it never works out the way that you expect it to. But if you just be a cool, authentic person, that's where opportunities come from, especially yep. in such a relational industry, quote unquote. Again, I, I try to get rid of all the corporate sounding terms because it, it's deceptive. You right. Know? But yes. For, for people that create music, it's entirely relational. And so just getting good at, at being friends with people, I think is the most important thing you can do. And as an artist too, if you're marketing yourself, it's kind of similar, like the content you're making, we, we kind of, we have this thing in our minds that to be successful as a musician is to be the next Justin Bieber or Ariana Grande. Right. And right. we have to have the packed out stadium. Be the next big thing. Be the next big thing. But success can mean really different things to different people. Mm-hmm. And even within that, you know, at this point, they are populous. You know, they are like, every, generally speaking, everybody knows them, likes their music. Right. But there was a point when the people that knew and liked their music 
were fans, not not just because it was the thing, but because they had a meaningful connection with the art that that person was creating, and they right. were creating music and content that was hyper focused on a, a specific kind of person that would love that thing, and so we we generalize, I think, too much as artists, and then we sell ourselves short because we we hold back on the things that make us unique and distinct that are going to create the most meaningful connections with people instead of just emphasizing that stuff. Right. At some point it becomes how do I how do I please my audience instead of how do I make music for me? Right. Cuz at some point you have to make music for yourself. Absolutely. There, there's Yeah, you can make the next big hit. However, that's never guaranteed. Right. And you're going to lose all those authentic people that you started out with cuz they'll know when your music starts hitting the corporate uh, generic right. stuff when you're like intentionally being inauthentic about right, it. Right. When you're yeah. intentionally just and basically selling out at some some cases, uh, just to make a quick buck. Uh, over and there are artists that are like that, and that's just a fact. Uh, however, there you got to keep in mind that like artists like Justin Bieber, Demi Lovato, uh, Lady Gaga, all all these bigger artists started with making authentic right. um, music yeah, and stuff you have never, ever heard on the radio <laughs> ever yeah. before. Yeah. I, I, I can almost guarantee you that there's like 500 songs that they've written that never even seen the light of day from even yeah. them again because they yeah. were just like, this is not a song I should sing. Because there's always when, – when you start writing songs, you have to – in order to get good at something, you have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. So there, and granted, I, you know, some, some, some of these big shots don't write their own songs. That's sure. That's well, you have like the Nashville true. models where you have a whole team of people, right? And yeah, they'll come together to help create something. Um, so you just got to keep in mind, you have to be authentic and you have to actually be willing to connect with people as an introvert. That's really hard. Yeah, that is, I, <laughs> the only reason why I met you was because Matt Cross knew you, and he and he <laughs> dragged right. he dragged me out to every because I would just want to be in bed and or be in my room and you know not even doing homework just watching like videos yep. or whatever. But he forced me to uh, be out into the space, and that's where I met you, Sean, uh, all these different other people. That um, granted, we haven't kept in touch, but we've made meaningful relationships that I can hit you up and be like, hey, you want to be on a podcast yep. or. Hey, I'm coming to Pittsburgh. You want to hang out for a sec? Or yeah, or uh, every right. other, many other things. Yeah. Um. And and people and connect over shared values, and I think mm -hmm. that's something really important to consider. Like, I can, I can go up to somebody at a show. You know, I can I can be out at a a bar and I listen to the band and I love the band, and go up to their guitarist, and if I want to if how much more meaningful is it? If someone can come up and say, hey, I'm a musician too. That's cool. Hey, I use that same guitar pedal as you. Like now we're lighting up. You know right. what I mean? Because we have like like a very niche, like shared experience of something. We have a shared value here. Like we value this thing. And there's not enough pedals, people yeah. in the world. They're like, oh my gosh, you too, you know? Um, and that's kind of a silly example. But what I'm trying to get out of that is like the things that really light up relationships is when we have that very authentic connection that is not super generalized, but it's like very distinct to who we are as a person and the things that we value. 
And as artists, especially when it comes to, you know, that gross icky word marketing, <laughs> which gets overwhelming. And I, I think that sometimes it's overplayed a little bit because it's, it's presented in a really unhealthy light with a lot of the internet gurus. If you go on YouTube and they tell you how to market your music, there's a lot of really unhealthy mindsets there and, and stuff that just drains people's creativity when they feel like they need to be on social media all day. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying that the times when you do choose to invest in that, being really intentional about making, sharing something that is so authentic to you and to what you value is just the best possible thing you can do because that's what's really going to connect with with people that will show up at your shows, buy your merch, stream your music, share it with their friends, not just the person that has one song on a playlist and then forgets you exist. You know, like the diehard fans, the people right. that stick around with you for life are going to be the ones that share values that you share. Yeah, so definitely talking about like how does one go out and meet people if they're introverts. That's one way of doing it for sure is to go up to somebody and think, think about what you want to say. Because there's the first impression is always the the most important, yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to like a long term relationship. For example, I used to go out open uh, to open mics with a friend named uh, that I won't get into, but um, he had this bad rap amongst uh, other musicians, hmm. and so uh, other musicians began to associate me with that bad rap, right? Uh, until one of uh, my one of those bigger bigger cats uh, actually saw my music and actually saw what what I was about. All these other people like have done drugs and all these other different stuff, but once they realized that I wasn't like that at all, um, or I ha and I had my own stuff to bring to the table. Yeah, I had my own authentic uh, stuff besides yeah. just covers and a you know a fifty dollar piano. <laughs> I that I you know what I mean. Yeah. That I could actually just, I can be myself. And it's hard to think of something to say to somebody that you want to connect with. Because there, there will be people that are bigger than you. And that's really intimidating yeah. to be able to go up. Because I, I remember the first time I went to an open mic and the guy hosting the open mic, I had heard so many stories that he had like sold out the Marriott here in Lancaster. Or done these like giant, or had planned these music festivals in the past. And I'm just like, whoa. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, you just got to go up to them. And sometimes it's just easy as saying hi. Other times it's like, hey, I have the same same guitar as you. Or, right. hey, I um, I heard this song about this. I noticed you did that. I've, I've been to that place or done that thing. Yeah. Or you can just go up to them and, go up to them and sometimes you just say, you want to you have a drink together? And just start, start your conversation yeah. from there. Um. It's really scary, mm -hmm. but once you get over the first hurdle, it's so much easier. Yeah, yeah. Finding meaningful ways to connect with people is so important. And musicians, make sure you bring your instrument out if you ever go <laughs> to an open mic. <laughs> yeah. that, that was my biggest problem for a long time. Was uh, I'm as a pianist, that's what I do when I gig. Yeah. Um, not a lot of pianists around. There's, you know, if you ever play guitar and you need a guitar, there's about 50 other people in the in yeah. the bar so there's or a million venue. of us. Yeah, <laughs> they can like, hey, can I borrow your guitar real quick? And most of everyone will say, yeah, sure, go ahead. But bringing your instrument, even even to like a show, yeah, it just sometimes because sometimes uh, even if, when you make these connections, uh, if you go out to support somebody at the show, they'll ask you, hey, did you bring your 
blah 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 with you you want to come up on stage with me and that's how yeah. i've made a lot of my money as a musician was uh having somebody say hey you want to come out bring your piano and i'll give you whatever i make in tips or, or whatever yeah. and that's just cool. yeah it's it's super simple stuff you you wouldn't imagine the amount of uh people you run into when you just go out and play like at, whether it's open open uh mics or for example just in lancaster they have to play me pianos yeah and that's where i found uh that person that had brought me out to the open mics yeah yeah um because he was just busking trying to make it to philadelphia or someplace yeah uh so it's and you know there's uh, there's plenty of uh pianos next to these venues that you could just start playing in and then maybe that maybe a person uh like a bouncer would be like hey he's pretty good and then that'll make that'll make waves too i've i got a i've had a gig and tell us because i was playing their playing piano outside of the i i got a gig on uh George Clinton's uh, festival. Wow. That like a few months ago, just because I, I was playing that piano outside yeah. of Telus 360. Um, shout out to their open mics on every Monday night. Um, Telus is awesome. Telus is really yeah. cool. Uh, but you got to make sure you go out there. Yeah. Definitely instrumental in making those connections. So, Noah, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Is there anything else on your mind? Man, well, let's see. So we've talked about the marketing. We could talk about things. Talked about the putting together habits. the band. Ooh, because you had your band, the Pear Trees, for a while. Sure, yeah. With uh, Matt Cross, the guy we've been talking about for yeah. a little while, and uh, Joey Schiffer. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it was just you guys. Yep. And then we had a guy named James Black playing for us for a while too. That's yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah. Bass extraordinaire. Ba- dude, but we're talking about the same guy who went here, right? Uh yeah yeah he did go yeah, there the insane Wild. bass guitarist yeah Matt, he's like the Matt Cross of Joe <laughs> yep <laughs> but um so uh, what was it like how did that start yeah um ooh great question well it was again an example of friendships just kind of manifesting themselves into something organically over time you know where we were all you know knew each other, had, you know, mutual friends and connections for several years, had shared music. We'd written back and forth with each other for years. And it it happened where I was coming out of audio school and I was looking for some opportunities to just get some more portfolio work. And so I offered to mm-hmm. do some recording with Joey as just a sort of a practice more than anything else, get some experience working with more people. And uh, just turned out we had a lot of shared passion uh, for music, a lot of shared interests in the kind of music we wanted to create. And it was just a really organic process from there. We brought Matt on just to play some drums on a recording and then realized like, hey, it's really fun all playing together, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't one of these situations where we like strategically put together a band. It was more just that things naturally happened because we had friendships and we, you know, enjoyed playing together. Right. And um, it was fun. It was a lot of my first experience really doing the gigging thing very intentionally did you guys ever go out and gig or yeah yeah we played a couple really? couple colleges and churches oh, yeah, and that's right. things yeah. like that it was really really fun yeah i'm ashamed that i had to say that i didn't go out to any of them <gasps> i know yeah, i know horrible how could you um, it's okay there, there will be more projects i'm sure right for sure <laughs> uh yeah where where are you guys on that because that that started like three or four years ago right yeah um yeah that was a project that lasted for maybe about a year and a half and then um we just all got busy. Right. And jo- we didn't. You and Joey got married. Matt Cross, yeah. uh, you know, doing his own thing at school and moving back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. 
being an epic drummer is a full-time gig. Yeah, right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, him being asked to do everyone's senior recital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember him complaining. Not 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 necessarily complaining, but like, ha- you know, it, it's busy and he can't yeah. say yes to everything. Sure. And that's sad reality of being an epic drummer. You have yeah. to sometimes say no. Yeah. Or else, because that's also really unhealthy too, is saying yes to everything yeah. and o- overbooking yourself. Yeah, and we have a habit of doing that as creatives too because we're always looking for the thing that's going to be the big break. And so we say yes to too many things. We overcommit ourselves Mm -hmm. because we don't want to, we have like FOMO fear of missing out. And so many times it's more important to just pick one or two things and really invest your whole into them. Because in my experience, that's what leads to the most meaningful connections in the long run and the most meaningful opportunities. You know, you could do a million different projects with different people and spend all of, you know, 30 minutes quality time with each of them where you have meaningful relationships that develop over months or years with maybe 20 people and how much like long-term relational benefit there comes from from that third of it is just exponential and you're just a healthier person for it cuz you're not like, you know, trying to balance so many six things. different people's worth of activities all at once. Right, and then having to memorize everything and then having to Go out and actually do it. Yeah. And there's so much uh, process. I don't think people realize when it goes to putting on like a show, there's tech week. There's millions of rehearsals. There's you have to put your own time outside of rehearsals, too. This is something I have struggled. I struggled with immensely over my college career is that. Oh, right. By the I'm not I because I am good enough to sight read. However, sight read music isn't the best music. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Um, you have to actually dedicate time and practice to it. And this is something I really regret over my college career. Um, and something that almost got me kicked out of college, actually, because I didn't uh, – because you remember for your lessons, you had to do like seven hours out of out of lesson uh-huh. yeah. at least. Or that was like the recommendation. Yeah. I did none of that. <laughs> so I, <laughs> just winging it? Just winging it. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I got to the point where I just didn't want to do lessons because I was just like, I can't be bothered to do all this. But – it really practice sucks. Yeah, it, um, yeah, we all hate it. We all hate it, especially as a person with like ADHD who procrastinates to no end. Procrastination always sucks, and it's always going to be a problem, and it's never ending. Yeah. Uh, so if you want another tip, make sure you practice. Make sure you practice. <laughs> you can't get better at yeah. anything if you don't practice. Well, building really healthy part. That's part of building also. healthy, you know, creative routines is to. Dedicate time to just work on your craft mm-hmm. outside of the noise and the shuffle of your responsibilities, you know, which is something I'm still, again, preaching to the choir on here. It's not where I've arrived, but these are the things I'm picking up that I need, that I'm training myself to begin to value. Because when I sit down for half an hour in a day and I just create and practice and develop skills, then I'm able to go into my next rehearsal, just a better, more present musician for it. Right. That's another thing I've been learning a lot, too. I'm a horrible scheduler, a horrible organizer. <laughs> well, most of the times I can keep stuff in my head like yeah. like this. Oh, no. Oh, oh, calendar, yeah. Calendar, Calendar's all of important. That I, yeah. I know that now. I know <laughs> that now uh, for sure. Calendar, calendar? calendar is so important. Make sure you keep a calendar. When I dated this one girl, and I saw she, she had her plan. Every single plan had a date, had a time, had an mm-hmm. emoji. 
even an emoji, an emoji Was dedicated this like to it. Like a coded it. system of emojis, like, like a coded like, system okay. of like, like, uh, like we're like how happy I am to have to do this thing. Well, no, it was <laughs> it was more of just like an association. So if it was dinner with somebody, they would they would have a specific emoji for the dinner and a specific emoji for the person. Okay. Um. So it 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 was wild to me yeah. that someone could could organize, and she is a dedicated organizer. Yeah. I but I I saw that and I was like. You have time to do it, and she was like, well, "Well, yeah. How am I supposed to know when?" She had said, "How am I supposed to know when my classes are?" And I'm like, "Don't you just memorize when your classes are?" <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. But we're like, as human beings, we're not actually developed to retain information right. like that in our heads. Like, it's actually, um, I, I'm not going to repeat the science because I'm bad at that kind of thing. But <laughs> I listened to a study recently that said that part of the reason we need to write things down is that we're we're not really. Our, our natural brain function is not to retain a whole bunch of facts like that. And so getting it out of your head actually helps you think a lot more clearly about That's what you're actually doing and be more present. Yeah. I'm obsessive about my calendar, man. I have a similar, I have it, I don't use emojis, but I have days, hours, color-coded events, depending I have on like what kind of, now. like yeah. is this is a work thing, is this is a like a hobby thing, you know, am I meeting somebody? And um, yeah, to the hour, because for me, that's just an act of caring about the people I work with is that I want to be on the dot and know where I am, where I'm supposed to be. And um, it's really cleared my mind, too. Like, I just feel like I'm I'm not running with a like a chicken with its head cut off all the time. That's that's completely fair. I've been so my mind works that once I have a routine, I don't need it to like I don't need to have a calendar. Yeah. Um, That and that's why I when I when she said that I have to put my classes in my schedule, I was like. That was so alien to me because I, I already knew it. If it's a Tuesday, I have this, 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 and this. Yeah. And that's that's partly because of the way I grew up in high school and, and such because you have like your A, B days or odd and right. even days yeah. uh, if your school works like that. Um, that's more of like a college kind of style uh, setup instead of, uh, you know, here's all your classes. Yeah. Uh, but um, so that was wild to me that she had to even get that specific. But I've realized that I can still keep that in my mind for sure, but like with other stuff that's that's changing and changing and changing, especially having this job at uh, Reading City Church that I have, uh, making sure that you have a schedule for everything, like deadlines, a yeah. planner. That way, that way you can see everything, and that way you know what's everything. Everything is going. I have been. I can't tell you the amount of times people have told me write it down, write it in your <laughs> agendas. The useless things at school that I yeah. always carried around, uh, what I considered useless at least. Um, and it's so much more helpful now that I can actually see something and not have to remember or like check an email or whatever, but it's so also so, so, so hard to get into that habit. Yeah. How did you do it? <laughs> Anytime that I make like a positive, um, decision in my life for better structure, organization, productivity, mental clarity, it comes from falling off of a cliff. Like I have to absolutely fail at something to realize that it's not working and then to reorient myself. Me too. And so I spent, and um, a college was actually a big one for me for that because I kept everything in my head. And, you know, I would just forget that I agreed to meet somebody at this time that day, or I'd Mm. forget that I was supposed to call somebody this time or, you know, and um, just realize like I can't, can't do it anymore. I I was desperate. (laughs) And I've had similar things like that with my calendar. Like I just completely reoriented the way I do my calendar about three weeks ago because the same thing happened again where what I was doing wasn't working. And 
that's just kind of how I learn as a person is by failing. And so, and then just having the grace to be like, okay, this sucks. How can I not make myself, you know, end up in this situation again and then doing right. something about it? Yeah, it's always doing something about it. Because um, yeah. we were talking a bit pre-show about the podcast, uh, the story podcast, and how I had it in my head for at least a year or so. Um, and it was just a problem of me having this vision that I wanted to complete and start and have at at the at the start of it. I didn't want to have to evolve or build or I just wanted yeah. to have it. And I I had a conversation with one of um my friends and he was just like, Well you have the space and you have all the stuff to do it. Just start doing it. And then you can build off of that. Yeah. And so a lot of at least neurodivergent people got to realize that it's never going to be perfect enough for you Mm -hmm. to start it you just have to start and then even today while we were while we were doing our podcast there are some things that went wrong like uh we have to go to the bathroom we have to get water (laughs) you we you know i messed up the live stream to begin with and uh so you know other little things like that and then trying to figure out how the how the radio works (laughs) It's it's uh, a lot to just little things. Just just the little things like <laughs> you know making sure that you're actually going live. Yeah. Um, and it's never gonna be perfect. And I, and the the funny thing is, we already know this as music people. We we've been through countless concerts where nothing has gone right. Yeah. And everything it's it's Murphy's law. Everything that yeah. can go wrong will go wrong, and it does go wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's and it's never gonna be to the point where you perfectly plan something out and yet somehow the show like for the shows for example the ones that i have thought oh that was the worst thing ever are usually the ones someone comes afterward and like that was amazing i loved that you did this cool thing and i'm like what the heck are you i'm like ready to throw myself into a dumpster by the end of the show right and they're like no are you kidding that was um you know so we over underestimate you know the power of imperfection right and that's what it's, it's a part of making us authentic we, yeah. uh, as musicians we are bombarded constantly by the corporate media which is everything is perfect all the time yeah uh, you know you have like these million dollar dollar studios that can get just exactly what you want and we ascribe we put all that pressure of like billions of dollars being put into a product onto ourselves yeah. instead of just you know Pulling out your phone, recording yourself like that. And that yeah. that's something. Yeah. That is something. It, and it's a legitimate form of expression. And especially with phones these days, uh, it's it's pretty decent compared yeah, yeah. to like what you know generations past had to do. Yeah. If you have a phone and you have a guitar, you can write a song. Even if you don't even have a guitar, you can write a song and just, you know, clap your hands along to the to the to the beat or whatever. Yeah. It it does it's not it doesn't have to be perfect. And then, and then from there you can build, you can build a following. Then, yeah. uh, someone part of part of that, making that those good connections, somebody might be generous, generous enough to let you have a guitar. Right. And, yeah. and build your craft through that. I, I have had so many friends and people invest into me because they know how authentic and, uh, how real I am. Yeah. And they, they want to support that. And they want to build that with you. 
or help you build that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of have this, I think we have a warped, and I've said this a little bit before, but I think it's kind of worth talking more about. We have a warped conception of success a little bit as Mm -hmm. creative people. What, What it means to arrive. We're always focused on arriving. Like I did the thing and it was everything I ever hoped. And it brought me this very specific kind of success and that's going to happen with this project on day one. Like that's in, like immediate. And if I just work at it long enough, that's, you know, that's just how, like we, we kind of have this idea where I'm just going to do this one thing. It's going to be perfect and it's all going to work out, you know? And creativity is so much more messy than that, especially when it's, mm-hmm. you are connecting with other human beings and the way in which we measure success can be radically different there where it's, sometimes it's more about the journey than it is about some arrival place. Cause I know plenty of people that hit their arrival place in their career, whether that was, you know, some kind of award, whether that was a certain kind number of fans, a record label, whatever, like a a record deal, whatever that was, they get there and then they don't stop. They keep going. There's a new goal. Like there will always be a new goal. There'll always be a new target. We're always working towards something because it's kind of just who we are as people and creatives. And so when we obsess over arriving, I think we miss out on a lot of the beauty of the process. Right. It's more, there are so many people who are obsessed with the des- destination and not the journey that yeah. it takes to get there. Yeah. Because that's where the most growth, the most creativity, and the most just rawness can happen. Yeah. And that's what helps you get to the to the arrival point anyway you have yeah. to, you you can't just arrive you have right. to you have to go through it yeah but even the arrival point doesn't end up being the arrival point no it does you keep does. going, yeah, there's, keep going. Then there's just a new target yeah it's crazy process to yeah. say the least yeah but i think that's the beauty of it like when we can learn to be authentic human beings to create authentically to make authentic human relationships with people and to just learn to love that journey of continually creating in community, I think that's where the real magic happens. It's where the great art happens. It's where success, however it plays out personally, is it happens in the sense we're fulfilled as creative mm-hmm. beings. And I, I just like that's the goalpost for me now. That's what I'm moving towards. And I think that that's kind of a a cool way to look at the look at art, you know. I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah. For now. I felt like we were wrapping up and I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna gonna try to turn that into my little like sensei thoughts or something, you know. Yeah, well <laughs> this has been Noah Altoff. You can find him on Instagram at Noah Altoff Music. Yep. You can uh, he has a website, noahaltoffmusic.com. Uh just Noah Altoff. Noah com. Yeah. No music. Yeah. There will be music on the website, just yeah. not in the URL. <laughs> This well, was fun, man. Thanks yeah. so much for letting me be a part of this. No problem. Honestly, this has been an experience for both of us, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and with that, this has been the story. The end. The, the <laughs> end. <laughs>